Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Candidates out of time now. We take a look at their final rallies last night on the eve of today's midterm elections. What do voters care about most on Election Day? We hear from people across different states speaking about their main concerns. The importance of having the Latino vote has grown over the years. Latinos made up the second largest voting bloc in the U.S. Find out if they vote blue or red. Election map redistricting has shifted voting power. Even though Republicans took on more redistricting tasks, Democrats made more gains. And with Election Day having finally arrived, we'll take a look at when you can expect to see some results. It's Election Day and time's out for candidates. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more on their final push last night to convince voters they're the right person for the job. No matter what you call it. In Georgia, Democratic U.S. Senator Raphael Warnock made his final campaign stop Monday evening to rally voters. Your job is to make sure everybody in your circle turns out and votes tomorrow because the issues are too urgent, the stakes are too high. Warnock's a pastor at the Atlanta church once led by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The senator's up against former football star Herschel Walker. Walker said he's running for Senate because he's sick of division and people not loving America. America is not last, I can tell you that right now. We're not last, and we can be first because when America leads, this whole world does well. If neither candidate gets 50% of the vote, the race will go to a runoff in early December. In Florida Monday, Democratic candidate for governor Charlie Crist was counting down until election day. Oh, happy day. One day to go. Crist criticized Governor Ron DeSantis. And the only thing he does is try to make his future bright. He doesn't care about ours. DeSantis, on the other hand, didn't mention his Democratic challenger. Instead, he focused on state and national issues under President Biden like inflation, the border crisis, and energy problems. All of those problems did not just materialize out of thin air. They were all problems that have been created by Biden's very own policies. According to polling website 538, DeSantis is very likely to win the race. In Ohio, Democratic Senate candidate Representative Tim Ryan rallied supporters in Youngstown Monday. Very important election. Very important an election that is going to determine the future of the country. It's not just going to affect Ohio. It's going to affect the country. Ryan's up against Republican candidate J.D. Vance, who wrote Hillbilly Elegy. He's backed by former President Trump. Vance told the crowd he feels good about where they stand. There are a lot of naysayers in the media, a lot of naysayers elsewhere that said, look, we're doing what we need to do. I guarantee we're going to be in a position to win this race, and I think we're going to win it in a big way. 538 says the election has looked competitive for much of this cycle, but Vance is now believed to hold the advantage. And in Pennsylvania, Senate candidates made their final pitches. Democratic nominee John Fetterman said a stroke earlier this year knocked him down. That I did got knocked down, but I did get back up. Since summer, Fetterman's lost his lead in polls to celebrity doctor Mehmet Oz, who's backed by Trump. Oz vowed to strike down partisanship and bring balance to Washington, D.C. There are too many extreme positions in Washington, too much out there pulling us away from where the real answers lie. I will bring balance to Washington. 
The Fetterman odds race is one of three critical contests, along with Georgia and Nevada. They'll determine who controls the Senate. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. In the closing hours of the 2022 midterm campaign season, President Joe Biden offered a frank assessment of his party's chance of retaining control of both the House and the Senate. The Democrats win the House. I think it's going to be tough, but I think we can. I think we'll win the Senate. I think the House is tougher. What do you think awaits you if it is a Republican-controlled Congress? What do I think what? Awaits you. What's, what's your new reality going to be like in Washington? More difficult. Biden was returning to the White House after an evening rally in Maryland, where Democrats have one of their best opportunities to reclaim a Republican-held governor's seat. The president's late campaign strategy has been to stick mostly to party strongholds. He's opted not to stump in more competitive territory, where control of Congress may ultimately be decided. Biden's public approval rating has slumped in recent months. He's now sitting at 39% in the latest Reuters-Ipsos poll. Biden won Maryland with more than 65% of the vote in 2020. And speaking of presidents, former President Donald Trump has suggested he will mount a 2024 presidential run. He was speaking yesterday at a political rally in Ohio to support U.S. Senate candidate J.D. Vance. I'm going to be making a very big announcement on Tuesday, November 15th, at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida. The former president declined to elaborate, saying he did not want to detract from Tuesday's very important, even critical election. Nonpartisan election forecasters predict that Republicans are likely to pick up roughly 25 seats in the 435-seat House of Representatives. That's more than enough to win a majority. Analysts also say Republicans could pick up the one seat they need to win control of the Senate. Should Trump run and win, he would become only the second U.S. president in history to serve non-consecutive terms. Americans all over the nation are ready to vote. Their main issues? Crime, inflation, access to abortion, and more. We hear from voters across different states. In Pennsylvania on Monday, some voters said one of their main concerns is a rise in crime in the border crisis. So personally, as a voter, uh, to me, the main one is crime. Uh, being a person that immigrated from Latin America to the U.S., moved my family here, the reasons you leave are crime and instability and insecurity. You come to the U.S. and you're looking for a peace of mind. And one of the things that I love the most moving to the U.S. was I walk from my house to my job, something I could never do in Latin America. And then you see the statistics, crimes are rising across the country. Even here in Pittsburgh, it's not as affected as other big cities. You still see crime going up. You still keep getting warnings. If you hear this, don't do that. And in downtown, you hear some gunshots and some gun, gun violence going up. Yeah, the, the border being wide open and the uh, fentanyl, the streets being saturated with fentanyl, and of course, inflation and, and you know, gas and everything else. I mean, but uh, the evilness in the, um, in, the, in the situation right now with the borders being open and the fentanyl pouring in is just so, so wrong. A Cuban-American immigrant in Miami agrees, saying the border situation is a problem. Call it what it is. It's an invasion. We're being invaded, and nobody wants to call it that. I, as an immigrant, as a refugee from a communist country, I am sympathetic to the plight of the illegal border crossers. But there's a process to be followed. 
Another Miami voter says the Cuban community doesn't lean to the left. The Cuban community is very united, so whenever anything happens, you'll see a lot of you'll see a lot of Trump flags, you'll see a lot of Republican Party allied people coming to famous places like Versailles, La Carreta. They'll come and protest together, and it's usually right-leaning. I've never seen a left-leaning one. A big topic for Republicans in Pennsylvania is abortion. Protecting babies in the womb. At conception, the baby is a baby. It has to grow and develop. Some people might call me a single vote voter, a single issue voter, but my primary issue is protecting the unborn. And after that, I have lots of concerns about immigration, uh, equity among classes and so forth, but I think issue number one is uh, protecting the unborn. Well, the Republican ticket is is the better ticket. It, it's the American ticket. It, it's it's for it's for our sovereignty, sovereignty, and and for uh, this country was founded on God. Many voters in Atlanta also say they have abortion on their minds. Top of my mind, especially being in Georgia, is women's rights, and of course the economy is a concern as well. But top concern for me, women's rights. Overall human rights are uh, really important, LGBT rights, abortion rights, women's rights, uh, those are probably the most important to me just given uh, my family history and kind of what's important to me um, on a day to day. So. Well I think inflation is probably first and foremost for me, uh, women's rights uh, is right there. Um, I'm not too concerned about gun control, not too concerned about you know, the second amendment, first or second amendment. So. You know, inflation and all that, that's, you know, been hitting all of us, but um, I do see that, you know, not being an issue in the future, but long term, I think the state of our democracy is probably the top issue for me. Retirees in Ohio say a big issue is the country simply being too divided. I think just the toxic partisanship altogether, the name calling, half the country is deplorables. When you elect a president, it's a president for all the people, not just some of the people. And I blame both parties for this toxic environment. It takes both parties to get involved in it, but boy, it seems like it's, it's, it's getting to a point where you can't even sit down and talk to uh, you know, a common conversation. Polls in Ohio opened at 6.30 a.m. on Election Day. Latino voters could be key in whether Democrats or Republicans are elected. They form the country's second largest voting bloc with a lot of growth in recent years. In the 2022 midterm elections, Hispanic voters could be a deciding factor in many races. It's the fastest growing voting bloc in the country with about 34.5 million eligible voters this November. This means Hispanics represent 14.3% of all eligible voters, the second largest demographic behind white non-Hispanics. Hispanic voters grew by almost 5 million since the last midterm in 2018, accounting for 16% of the increase in the voter population. The Latino vote is especially important in three battleground states, Florida, Texas, and Arizona. Hispanics make up close to a third of all eligible voters in Texas, a quarter of eligible voters in Arizona, and one-fifth in Florida. Latinos have traditionally been a reliable base for the Democratic Party. According to the Pew Research Center in September, 53% of registered Latino voters say they would vote Democrat in their local House race this year. That's compared to 28% for Republicans. But in recent years, many are shifting to the GOP. 
In the 2020 presidential election, then-President Trump made significant gains. 38% of Hispanics voted for him compared to 28% in 2016 and 26% who voted Republican in the 2018 midterms. The trend appears to be continuing this year. In a special congressional race this June, Republican Myra Flores made a surprise victory by flipping a seat in South Texas. The district is predominantly Latino and traditionally voted blue. And spewing more trouble for the Democratic Party this year is the current state of the economy. According to an August poll by the Pew Research Center, 80% of Latino registered voters say the economy is very important in deciding who to vote for. And when it comes to the economy, the gap in Hispanic support for the two parties is narrowing. According to a New York Times poll in September, 43% of Latino voters said they agree more with the Democratic Party on the economy, while 41% of them agree more with the GOP. The Justice Department is sending election monitors to voting sites in 24 states. They say the move is to protect federal voting rights laws, but their officers were turned away in Florida. According to Brad McVeigh, general counsel for the Florida Department of State, Florida law doesn't permit DOJ monitors to be stationed inside polling booths. McVeigh warned that the presence of federal law enforcement could be counterproductive and even damage faith in the election, especially if there is no evidence to justify the need for a federal intrusion. He added the DOJ didn't provide any authorization for the plan to insert monitors into polling sites. The state is now considering sending its own monitors to the targeted jurisdictions. The DOJ didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. And a county in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia, has extended the deadline for more than 1,000 absentee ballots. Cobb County election officials said the absentee ballots were requested but did not go out due to human error. The county's election director said a worker missed the final step of packing up and mailing out the absentee ballots on at least two days in October. The county says it will overnight the ballots and accept them back through November 14th. That's nearly a week after Election Day and the same day that Georgia's military and overseas ballots are due. A state judge approved the extended deadline on Monday. That's a day after the ACLU of Georgia and the Southern Poverty Law Center filed a lawsuit over the ballots. The Georgia Secretary of State's office says they plan to open an investigation into the incident with the state election board. Michigan Secretary of State candidate Christina Caramo asked for mail-in ballots from Detroit to be rejected this election. Now a judge has ruled against the request. Caramo is a Republican. She filed a lawsuit several weeks ago to disqualify absentee ballots in Detroit and require voters to show up in person. She said the mail-in ballot counting system in Detroit violates election law. But a judge dismissed her lawsuit and claimed she, quote, raised a false flag of election law violations and corruption. In her lawsuit, Caramo asserted the city of Detroit has been, quote, plagued with election corruption for years. Detroit has been steadily losing population for decades due to a loss of manufacturing jobs and high violent crime rates. Michigan lost a U.S. House seat coming out of the census, but still has three of its 13 districts drawing national attention. A Florida woman was arrested for alleged voter fraud. Officials say she voted in two states in the same election cycle. Cheryl Ann Leslie was a physician assistant in Palm Beach, Florida. In 2020, she allegedly cast her vote in both the federal and state primaries in Florida and Alaska. 
According to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, her Alaska votes were sent via absentee ballot, while her Florida ones were submitted in person. On top of that, investigators found a pattern of double voting, as Leslie allegedly voted in both states in 2014, 2016, and 2018. Leslie said her job requires travel in multiple states. She now faces charges of voting in two states and casting more than one ballot in one election. Both are third-degree felonies. Florida authorities say a total of 22 people have been arrested for election crimes since August. An arrest warrant for a 23rd is still active. Arizona officials are assuring the public about the voting process ahead of the election. They also took time to explain and dismiss accusations of cheating and incompetence. You know, just at the end of last week, this misinformation effort really kicked into high gear as people who have uh, large followings on Twitter or other uh, social media platforms started to spread misinformation about this upcoming election. And a lot of this misinformation is being spread by people who don't even live here in Maricopa County. But for one reason or another, they want to distract and, and they want to create issues with our election. As committed as we are to keep the community safe, we're committed to protect the free vote in a republic. Anybody out there whose intentions are to undermine this effort, to create fear, to intimidate good men and women who are trying to facilitate this process, you will have to go through us to get there and it's not going to happen on our watch. Gates addressed issues brought up by people on Twitter. He said they weren't things to be concerned about. Officials said all the concerns were misinformation or false election narratives. The officials represent Arizona's largest county. Maricopa County includes the city of Phoenix and its suburbs and about 60% of the state's voters. The county is approximately the size of the state of Connecticut. It's the state's most fiercely contested county. Election fraud was hotly disputed there after the 2020 election. Biden was granted the victory in the Arizona despite concerns about the process in Maricopa County. The battle lines have been drawn this year for the House of Representatives. All 50 states have new congressional maps for the midterm elections. NTD's Jessica Beatty takes a look at the new boundaries and what they could mean for House seats in the midterms. Every 10 years, states redo their district's boundaries. The new lines reflect new population numbers from the census. This time, even though Republicans had control over redrawing more districts, Democrats actually gained more seats. According to polling aggregation website 538, the new maps have six more Democrat-leaning seats than the old maps. But Republican-leaning seats stayed the same. Of the 435 seats in the House of Representatives, 187 are now Democrat-leaning seats, and 208 are Republican-leaning seats. One of the biggest takeaways this time around is there are fewer swing seats. The new maps now have 40 highly competitive seats. That's six fewer than before. 538 says Democrats gained more seats because they aggressively redrew maps in states like Illinois. Courts, meanwhile, overturned Republican gerrymanders in states like North Carolina. But even though Democrats gained more seats, 538 says Republicans actually gained more ground from redistricting. The GOP is expected to gain three or four seats in November thanks to the new boundaries alone. The website says Republicans protected their existing position by converting Republican-leaning seats into solid red seats. That means they're more likely to go Republican. Right now, Democrats control the House with a slim majority, but 538 expects that to change in November.
It says Republicans are favored to win the House in the midterms. The fate of the House likely comes down to about a dozen toss-up seats, according to 538. Historically, the president's party almost always has a bad midterm. The question is whether voters will shift back to Republicans this cycle. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Control of the U.S. House of Representatives is on the line today, and so is the role of House Speaker. Two people are likely vying for the position. Representative Kevin McCarthy of California is minority leader now. He says he'll run for Speaker if Republicans take control of the House. Incumbent Speaker Nancy Pelosi isn't saying whether she'd retire if that happened. But she says a factor in her decision would be the October 28th attack on her husband. The first thing I'll ask the president not to call half the nation idiots. A vote tomorrow is a vote to defend our democracy. Asked if she'll retire if Democrats lose the House, Pelosi said her decision would be affected by what happened last week or two. The midterm elections have finally arrived. When will you know the results? We take a look at that and some key states. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre warned yesterday that the election results may not be known for a few days. All 435 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives are up for grabs, as are 35 U.S. Senate seats and 36 governorships. Republicans would need to pick up five seats to take a majority in the House and just one to control the Senate. The first wave of vote tallies are expected on the East Coast between 7 and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. With Republicans favored to win, media organizations could project control of the House by around 10 or 11 p.m. Eastern Time. That's if Republicans have enough momentum. Now let's take a look at some key battleground states that may not have complete election results on Tuesday. Candidates in Georgia must get a minimum of 50% of the vote to win. If no candidate does that, the top two advance to a runoff on December 6th. Arizona election officials can begin counting early ballots upon receipt. The chance of a recount there is now higher. Lawmakers passed a bill that increases the automatic recount threshold from one-tenth of one percent to one-half of one percent. Pennsylvania is a state that could determine Senate control. Election officials there are not allowed to begin processing absentee and mail ballots until the morning of the election. Michigan election officials are also not permitted to begin counting absentee ballots until the morning of Election Day. A law passed this year enables officials to start processing absentee ballots prior to the election. In Wisconsin, election officials are not able to begin processing early and mail ballots until after the polls open on Election Day. For Ohio, mail ballots must be postmarked by the day before the election and have 10 days to arrive. As for the pace of reporting, no predictions were provided. Meanwhile, in Nevada, there is a predominantly mail ballot election. Ballots must still be postmarked by Election Day, but they have up to four days to arrive. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Texas Senator Ted Cruz got less than a warm welcome Monday at the Astros World Series victory parade in Houston. While the Republican senator was on a moving float, a parade goer hurled a beer can at him. Houston police announced Tuesday that a suspect was arrested for the incident. He's been charged with aggravated assault. Cruz was hit in the neck and chest area, but he wasn't hurt. The senator later thanked Houston police and Capitol Police for their quick action. Cruz also thanked the thrower, calling him a clown with a weak arm. And coming up after the break, a roundup of Washington's China policy. How did former President Trump deal with threats from the communist regime? And what steps has President Biden taken from trade, Taiwan, technology, and diplomacy? 
A look at the big picture, now that you'll only see on NTD. We'll have that and more for you when we return. philanthropist George Soros leads the pack in political donations this year. All of his $128 million in donation money went to Democrat candidates and causes. Wealthy citizens have donated heavily to both political parties this year, though none of the others come close to Soros. A list of them was put out by Washington-based organization for research Open Secrets. The next three slots on the list after Soros are Republican donors. Some, including the fifth donor on the list, donated to both Democrat and Republican candidates and causes. In all, 40 of the donors on the list supported only Democrats, 32 helped only Republicans, and 28 contributed to both categories. The recipients include individual candidates, political parties, and political action committees. Next, a roundup on Washington's China policy over the past four years. How does President Biden's China policy compare to President Trump's? Let's zoom in. First on the list, trade. President Trump started a trade war with China, slapping tariffs on over $360 billion worth of Chinese goods. At the time, the U.S. was buying more goods from China than vice versa. Trump used the penalties to pressure Beijing into buying more U.S. goods. The two countries ended up signing a trade deal. Under it, Beijing agreed to buy over $200 billion in U.S. goods. Together we are righting the wrongs of the past and delivering a future of economic justice and security for American workers, farmers, and families. But data from this July shows China only fulfilled 58 percent of its promise. So far, President Biden has kept the tariffs in place. The current administration has postponed its decision on whether to drop the tariffs and is still in the middle of a review. Biden's aides are divided on the issue. On the investment front, Trump barred U.S. companies and citizens from investing in companies linked to the Chinese military. His executive order says these companies raise capital by selling securities to American investors. But in reality, the dealings support China's military development. Biden amended that executive order and maintained key provisions in 2021. On the technology front, the Trump administration doubled down on kicking Chinese companies out of the U.S. network. Specifically, it took aim at Chinese tech giant Huawei. Huawei is the world's largest telecom equipment maker. But the Trump administration said Huawei poses a national security threat. Huawei and other Chinese state-backed tech companies are Trojan horses for Chinese intelligence. At the time, the White House tried to block Huawei from developing its 5G network around the globe. The U.S. also barred Huawei from getting U.S. technology and chips by adding it to a blacklist. What's more, Washington targeted Chinese-owned apps like TikTok and WeChat. Trump tried to completely ban both apps from U.S. app stores. Beyond that, the administration also tried to build a clean network. That's by rallying countries to boot Huawei and Chinese companies out of their telecom networks, app stores, cloud services, and undersea cables. After Biden took over, he dropped Trump's ban on WeChat and TikTok. 
Instead, he launched a national security review into the apps. And even though Huawei has been blacklisted, under Biden, the U.S. reportedly approved Huawei's application to buy microchips for its auto component business. The purchase will total hundreds of millions of dollars. That's according to a report from Reuters. A month later, Huawei's chief financial officer Meng Wanzhou was allowed to return to China. That's after reaching a deal with U.S. prosecutors in New York. Ms. Meng, what's your reaction to being granted bail today? How are you feeling? Canada arrested her at Washington's request in 2018. The U.S. accused her of violating American sanctions on Iran. Moves on other Chinese companies stayed consistent. Under Trump, the FCC refused China Mobile's application to provide telecom service in the U.S. Under Biden, the FCC revoked the authorization of four Chinese companies to operate on U.S. soil. On the diplomatic front, the Trump administration ordered China to shut down its consulate in Houston. The administration accused the consulate of being a spy hub. The administration also put visa restrictions on certain Chinese individuals, those engaged in overseas influence operations. Likewise, it required five Chinese state-run media companies to register as foreign missions and imposed tighter visa restrictions on their Chinese employees. Under Biden, both countries relaxed visa restrictions on journalists. Looking at the Hong Kong issue, Trump sanctioned over 30 Chinese officials for surprising pro-democracy protests. He also ended preferential economic treatment for the region after Beijing imposed a strict new security law. On the Xinjiang region, the Trump administration labeled Beijing's repression of Uyghurs there as genocide. The U.S. also banned imports of cotton and tomato products from Xinjiang, citing forced labor. In a similar vein, the Biden administration passed a bill banning imports from Xinjiang over forced labor concerns. The administration also sanctioned almost 30 Chinese and Hong Kong officials. As for Taiwan, the Trump administration went beyond diplomatic protocols. Trump spoke directly with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen, a major break from past U.S. policy. The administration also lifted curbs on interactions between U.S. and Taiwanese officials. U.S.-Taiwan relations continue to warm under the Biden administration. Biden said U.S. would defend Taiwan in case of a Chinese invasion. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women, would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion? Yes. That's a departure from Washington's long-time stance of strategic ambiguity. Under Biden, the U.S. and China pledged to cooperate on climate issues in the next decade. But China halted climate talks after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. Ladies and gentlemen, the president and the speaker have arrived. The Chinese regime also suspended cooperation on fighting illegal drugs like fentanyl. Over 70,000 Americans died from fentanyl last year. Most fentanyl precursors originate from China. And a kick on Chinese companies listed on the U.S. stock exchanges. Under Trump, the U.S. passed a law that would remove Chinese companies from the U.S. stock market if they failed to open their books to U.S. regulators three years in a row. Negotiations continued under Biden. Both sides reached a deal in August. 
allowing Chinese firms to share more information with U.S. regulators. On semiconductors, the Biden administration slapped new restrictions on China. Under it, companies are banned from selling advanced computing microchips and chip-making equipment to China without a license. Washington also passed a bill. The motion is adopted. Setting aside over $50 billion in subsidies to boost the domestic semiconductor industry. And there's more. The administration put over 600 Chinese companies on a blacklist. The reasons vary, ranging from aiding the Chinese military to involvement in human rights abuses. Juliet Song, NTD News. Wall Street is heading into the midterm election looking like a bust. That's not great news for President Biden's stock market record. According to CFRA research, the S&P 500 advanced just 13 percent since Biden took office. That's the second worst record during the same amount of time in office since Jimmy Carter was president. Out of the 13 presidents since 1953, Biden's presidency ranks ninth in terms of stock market performance. And coming up, mass poisonings, and our kids are paying the price. This is a war against America by the Chinese Communist Party. In this special report, we look at how fentanyl is making its way into counterfeit prescription drugs and candy, how the Chinese regime has turned pills into weapons of mass destruction, and what concerned citizens can do. We'll return with that and more after this break. Welcome back. Just a few milligrams, about equal to a few grains of salt. That's the amount of fentanyl that can be deadly. Tiffany Meyer with China in Focus brings us a deep dive into the deadly drug that's become the number one killer of Americans aged 18 to 45. From prescription drugs to the most popular Halloween candy, the Chinese regime has found a way to turn these into poison. We've never seen in the history of this country the amount of dead kids and dead Americans from this poison. We've never had this happen in the history of America where so many people are being poisoned by substances that are created in labs, made in labs outside the U.S. The CDC notes the number of deaths skyrocketed up to over 100,000 in 2021. That's the highest ever recorded in one year. It translates into one death roughly every five minutes. It's gotten so bad that these deaths are now relabeled. We don't call them overdoses now. We call them poisonings. And there's mass poisonings all over the country. And over 70% of them involve fentanyl. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that's 50 times more potent than heroin. As for how deadly it can be... It is highly, highly deadly in the sense of a very small amount. We're talking about your, your, your pinky nail of your finger. The small amount of dose is so powerful. That's former ICE Special Agent Victor Avila. He notes it's so addictive, you don't even have to take a fentanyl-laced pill to feel the effects. Also, our first responders, a lot of them have been uh, exposed to it by absorbing it or by touching it. And sometimes that'll make them go into a relapse of an overdose. And so we have a lot of issues with our first responders being very alert as to uh, when they come in contact with it. 
Given just how strong these pills are, there's a new culprit in town that's helping conceal it. And it's called rainbow fentanyl. Derek Maltz, former Drug Enforcement Administration special agent in charge, explains. We just had a seizure up in Hartford, Connecticut. It was the DEA task force. They seized 15,000 pills, fake pills of fentanyl, but they were actually in boxes of Nerds and Skittles, which are two of the most popular candies around Halloween. So they're, they're putting it in the packaging. Doesn't mean they're gonna sell it to kids, but they're, they're trying to move their drugs without getting caught. But unfortunately, those packages could be left around in a house and some kid innocently picks it up and starts trying to eat the candy and it's deadly fentanyl. So we've had plenty of kids in America dying in their houses. One concern is with Halloween and other holidays. They're sending these pills in these rainbow colored candy looking like uh, uh, pills that will attract any child to take. But that's not all. Maltz notes it's more than just candy fentanyl is hiding in. They're also making little chunks of chalk. It looks like sidewalk chalk, but it's fentanyl. It's like colored, it looks like colored ch uh, chalk. It's blocks, you know? And so kids can inadvertently pick that stuff up too. So it's becoming very dangerous. Why is fentanyl being found in candy and chalk? Avila says it's the cartels expanding their market. Very, very uh, alarming to know that your child can take a piece of candy that is counterfeit by the cartels through the help of China, and it is a fentanyl pill that could possibly cause them death. Maltz adds it's all part of a marketing strategy. But now what's happening is the Mexican cartels have implemented a strategic and deceptive marketing campaign looking to drive addiction and drive profits. And they're going after the kids because the kids are obsessed with their smartphones and they're operating on the social media apps all day. And now it's become very easy to buy these pills online and you get them delivered right to your house. And there's many cases around America where kids are found in the bedrooms, blue in the face, dead. The Drug Enforcement Administration recently issued a warning about these pills called One Pill Can Kill. And he notes the recent trend in victims is only getting younger. And unfortunately, a lot of young Americans are dying as young as 12 or 13 years old because they're able to buy this stuff now online. The pills are very popular because in America, you know, pills are, you know, thought about as like a drug from the doctor. That's a very important drug. If you have anxiety, you take Xanax. If you have attention deficit disorder, you take Adderall. If you have pain, you take some Oxy or Percocet. He also cites how easy it is to buy the pills from social media and how it's led to an increase in America's youth buying laced pills. But if it's prescribed by the doctor, that's cool. If you're getting it from Walgreens and CVS, that's good. But if you're buying it online, most likely it's fentanyl and it will kill you. Back to the rainbow fentanyl, does the color make a difference? But it's all the same stuff. In this case, it's deadly poison coming from Mexican labs run by primarily two cartels south of the border, the Sinaloa cartel and the cartel Jalisco New Generation, which is basically the two most powerful drug cartels. And I don't even want to call them drug cartels anymore because they're terrorist organizations that are selling this poison not only in America, but in other parts of the world.
Now, as for where these pills are coming from, Maltz notes. The majority of the fake pills are being produced in Mexico, in Canada, and also in the United States. In many cases, the Mexican cartels will just produce a powdery substance that's fentanyl. They will send the fentanyl powdery substance into America, and then American kids are buying pill presses online, and they're making their own fake pills in their houses throughout this country. But Mexico isn't doing it alone. Those cartels are getting help from a country thousands of miles away. China definitely helping them with the precursors and the chemicals. And as, as of late, I've heard that China is even bringing in the counterfeit, counterfeit pills already ready to be distributed already from China. And so uh, China is even helping in that sense that not even the cartels have to produce it in Mexico. Um, they will bring it in ready to go and uh, give it to the cartels to distribute through their channels. Experts note it's important to keep an eye on what's happening in neighboring countries because it has a direct impact on Americans' daily lives. That's the source, uh, you know, 95% of the fentanyl is coming through our southern border. And because of the conditions that we have in this open border uh, policy under this administration, it is coming through. You are seeing record numbers of seizures of fentanyl. But that, uh, although those seizures are great, it's only an indication of how much is actually pouring into the country. But Avila notes, with the open border and the leer of profits, we're now seeing something unprecedented, human and drug traffickers working together. The human smuggling uh, of the individuals and the drugs was always very separate. Uh, when I worked, the, you know, I worked the border for 20 years, and those were very separate entities. It was the drug cartels dealing with their drugs and the human smugglers separate dealing with the humans. Well, now the cartels have taken over all of it. They've noticed how much it is, uh, how much money there is in smuggling these individuals, plus some of it into human trafficking conditions where they turn into the human smuggling into exploitation uh, purposes of, the, of these individuals. Um, in some cases, absolutely, they're using the illegal aliens to transport those drugs. But experts note something even more concerning. Fentanyl isn't the most deadly. There's something else coming across the border. New synthetic opioids that make fentanyl seem weak in comparison. Adenitazine, isonitazine, they're very powerful synthetic opioids. Actually, they're um, 10 to 20 times more powerful than fentanyl. It's important to keep in mind that fentanyl is already 50 times more potent than heroin and up to 100 times more potent than morphine. But what's the motive driving all this? It all comes down to money. But over the last four, five, six years, we started seeing the emergence of Chinese nationals in America who were picking up millions and millions of dollars in cash and laundering the money for the drug cartels. And they've created a way more effective and efficient system to get the cartels what they need quickly. They have trade-based money laundering schemes. They're using encrypted apps, WeChat, WeChat Pay. They're using their bank accounts in China to move money back and forth after they get cash here in America. The sad part is you have all these, uh, not all, but we have many Chinese national students coming into America on visas that are actually being used to pick up money and deliver money to Chinese businessmen. So it's really, really getting worse. And there's not a lot of reports, but there was a report last month about how the Chinese Communist Party 
are buying billions of dollars worth of land, real estate, and property in America. And then if you look at some of the other stats, the majority of those purchases are in cash. Speaking of all that cash, there's an issue. The Chinese regime doesn't let Chinese people get more than $50,000 in cash out of their Chinese banks into America. So where does all the cash come from? Chinese uh, nationals are getting cash here from the money laundering of the drug cartels. So they're using drug cartel money to buy real estate, to buy property. They're also buying houses all over the West Coast, and they're making indoor grow operations to sell very high pure marijuana that's destroying the brains of young Americans as well. So the Chinese national, the criminals are involved in a lot of aspects of this drug crisis, but they're smart because now they're operating behind and under the radar and they're letting the cartels do all the dirty work. Given the threat to national health and national security, what can be done? John Mills, retired Army colonel and former director of cybersecurity at the Defense Department, says to hit them where it hurts. So it's you got to cut off the ATM. You got to cut off the cash flow to, to, to China. You got to, you know, have extreme maximum pressure campaign to cut off the financial flows to uh, to China. Uh, and you also all, all trade measures should just be absolutely aggressive because they will get it once they are held accountable. As for how to hold them accountable, experts note there is power in labels. We've been asking for a declaration uh, from Congress and other members of the U.S. government to declare the Mexican cartels as terrorists, because that's what they are. Just to be clear, in the history of this country, we have never seen this amount of dead Americans from any terrorist organization. So if the cartels aren't terrorists, what the hell does the terrorists mean? What does that mean anymore? They are destroying our families and our communities. Avila adds there have been some steps taken in that direction. There's some uh, police departments and district attorneys uh, along the, the country that I've spoken with that are, are now treating these fentanyl poisonings as a homicide and directly related to that person that sells that, that, that counterfeit pill will, will then charge them with that type of crime. And that's a good thing. We want to hold these people accountable because it is related directly to a death. Now, uh, the designation as cartels, as foreign terrorist organizations is a good thing. The governor of Texas recently uh, signed an executive order doing just that. Uh, we're going to see how that turns out. But eventually, I think we need it done at the federal level under the State Department to categorize some of these cartels, just like ISIS, the Taliban uh, and Al Qaeda, because that's exactly what they are. They're terrorist organizations. The difference is they're working out of Mexico and they're present in our country and 50 uh, plus countries around the world as well. But that's at the state and country level. As for the children who are becoming the targets of these deadly pills, experts note education is vital. But we have to educate everybody in elementary school, middle school, and even high school. By the time they get to high school, it's actually too late. So we have to go to the earlier ages. We got to get professional athletes, social media influences. We have to get celebrities. We have to get role models to bombard social media with these notices about fentanyl. Right now, the problem is kids in America are not watching mainstream media. They're not watching cable news. They're not watching internet news. They're watching the reels on TikTok and on Instagram and 
They're on Snapchat, but we're not getting the messages to them. That's the problem. Avila notes, with Halloween and other holidays, education is becoming more important. Uh, even in my own family, we've been just saying, listen, you have to educate your children. This is not this is not the same times that uh, that we have experienced before. And unfortunately, this is the reality that uh, we must take. Uh, if you're going to have uh, Halloween and, and fine, is go out there and, and do your their thing. But make sure that whatever candy your children are consuming, or even yourself, that you know that it's come from a prepackaged uh, at the store, something that you can verify that maybe open yourself. Nothing that is loose or that you have no idea where this came from. There's no reason to be taking loose candy from anyone, even, uh, even at uh, Halloween time. Even beyond Halloween, it's become a daily concern. Now keep in mind that the DEA has determined that 40% of the pills that they seized and analyzed contain a potentially lethal dose of fentanyl. So that's really, really scary. This is a chemical attack on our country. And unfortunately, you don't hear too much about it at coming out of Washington, D.C. DEA and the law enforcement agencies are doing a great job at seizing all this stuff and arresting people. But that's not going to stop the death and destruction. We need to destroy those labs in Mexico. Avila adds. The fentanyl is something that is uh, uh, never seen before in this country. And there's other drugs that are coming in the pipeline, like narcissin and others that we'll probably talk in the future, which is not a good thing, more powerful drugs. And this is a way, I think, uh, not just China and the cartels, but other people that do not want uh, the United States to succeed to kind of get at us. And, and it's not a good thing. We must combat them and it start at the southern border. Maltz also sheds light on the opposite side. He says if we consider the Chinese Communist Party's point of view, there's the concept of unrestricted warfare or winning a war without the conventional weapons of warfare. From that perspective, using fentanyl to destabilize America. It's a great foreign policy for China. And that's exactly the words of the former Homeland Security Director in Congress, Michael McCall, Congressman McCall is from Texas. And he said recently that selling fentanyl to America is a great foreign policy for China. So that's really how I feel. We know from our casework in the past with the Afghani heroin traffickers that selling heroin to the West is equivalent to a jihad against America. So it's the same concept, just a different drug and a more deadly drug. But as for holding the Chinese regime accountable, it's not something the U.S. can do alone. I wish there was more uh, of that enforcement, especially at the in the Mexican side of, you know, uh, because they have these uh, connections in Mexico. We know that Mexico's corrupt is allowing them to uh, bring in these chemicals. But because of certain kinds of corruption, the Chinese regime has a heavy presence in Mexico and therefore having access to the United States because of uh, the lawlessness that's happening in Mexico and along the border as well. And not only with, the, with the, the drug sales and the precursors and all that that we're talking about, but China has also gained a lot of access to the United States through that southern border. Uh, they've come into our country and purchased large amounts 
of property uh, uh, along the border and very vital uh, places around the country. And so it's it's a national security uh, risk. This is what this is. It's, it's a national security issue. It's a public safety issue that looking at the big picture, that's what we're supposed to be focused on. At the end of the day, Maltz notes it's important to remember this impacts all of America and our future. It's impacting not just Republicans, not Democrats, not independents. It's impacting all of America. And it's probably, in my lifetime, the biggest day-to-day -day threat to our country and the future generation. If they're killing off all our kids, what's going to happen, you know, five, ten years from now? Who's going to be in the Air Force? Who's going to be in the DOD? Who's going to be the police officers? Who's going to be the, be the doctors, the lawyers, the pilots, the construction workers, the teachers, the nurses? We're going to have a void. Given all that's at stake, experts warn there's a multitude of steps that need to be taken, and taken fast, from educating our children, to securing the border, to intercepting and stopping the cash flow to the Chinese communist regime. If those steps aren't taken, it's not just our lives that will be disrupted, it will be our kids. And there won't be a future generation. Tune in for our live coverage of Election Night 2022, an NTD and Epic Times co-production featuring our on-the-ground reporters in battleground states, the latest results and data analysis, plus insights on key issues from our hosts and trusted experts. The live coverage will start at 6.30 p.m. Eastern tonight on our website and Epic TV. And that's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. fierce battle. I stand here as the establishment is scared to death of us right now. Democrats who voted for our future, not Republicans who refuse to see the future. The House and Senate on the, the line. Massive crushing inflation. I know what people are going through. The country at a turning point. This is the largest governmental overreach in the history of our lifetime. And on abortion, you know, I'm a Christian. It all boils down to a handful of key races. Election night 2022 on NTD television and the Epic Times.